welcome to This Is Modern Rock, the podcast that looks at the modern rock charts one month at a time. We are in 1991, and we've made it to the end of the year. This is the wrap-up for the season, and I'm joined by my frequent co-host, Orly. Woohoo! Thank you, thank you. Welcome, Orly. Thank you. How's it going? Pretty good. Yeah. Living life, doing stuff. How was 1991 for you? You know, not great. No, to better, be honest, better than twenty twenty. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Them's was some rough years of puberty. Well, we're going to be talking nineteen ninety one today. We're going to be doing some statistics. We're going to be hearing some music. Anything we want to talk about from the year, we're going to cover it. All Sounds right, it's good. Yeah, this was a big year. Yeah, for music, you mean for like modern rock? Yeah, for modern rock, this was a big year. There's not too many years I can think of that had so many just monumental albums come out. Yeah. Pivotal. Mm-hmm. Earth shaking. <laughs> Nirvana. Yeah. Nevermind came out this year. U2's Octung Baby came out this year. R.E.M., Red Hot Chili Peppers, Primal Scream, and big albums by Dinosaur Jr. and Throwing Muses. We heard from all of these throughout the course of the season. Yes. And then there's a whole bunch of really huge albums that we didn't hear from, but we're going to hear next season because the songs didn't chart till 92. Ooh, all right. And that includes Pearl, Pearl Jam, Jam. Mm-hmm, My Bloody Valentine, Teenage Fan Club, Matthew Sweet. And then we've got the bands that put out an album in 91 and didn't chart on the modern rock charts. Right. So Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger came out in 91. Guns N' Roses put out Use Your Illusion 1 that and 2. That is not modern rock. Well, they did chart one time on the modern rock charts. Metallica. Oh, brother. Black Album came out in 1991. Okay. This is just a lot of really big albums this year. Yeah. Let's jump into a little bit of statistics. Okay. So in 1991, there were 192 different songs that peaked on the modern rock charts mm-hmm. by 145 different bands. Okay. The most time spent at number one was R.E.M. with Losing My Religion. Okay. Eight weeks on top, tying their own personal best. A lot of weeks. Or if you want to count some spillover into 1992, U2's Mysterious Ways ends up spending nine weeks in the top spot. Mm. So, new record. Mm-hmm. Ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. There were a total of 16 number one hits in 1991, Hmm. and the average album release of the bands who hit number one, it was their 6.3rd album. No way. Yeah, that is correct. Is there like a couple of bands really throwing it off? Yes. Yeah. Simple Minds were on their 11th album. Elvis Costello was on his 13th album. Mm. Susie and the Banshees were on their 11th album. 11 albums. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are you... (laughs) <laughs> you got that much to say. You think they should have uh, thrown in the towel before then? No, 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 not at all. It's just like, it seems, it's unimaginable to me. Yeah. But, you know, it's not like all of the other bands were brand new or anything. There was only one band that was on their first album, and that was Electronic. And those guys are established artists anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, they were in bands that put out a lot of albums before that. So it looks like in 1991, at least if you want to get to the number one spot, mm-hmm. you got to be an established artist. If we want to look at which band put the most different songs on the charts, mm. that would go to EMF. What? They charted four times, four different songs in 1991. Okay. Was one of them unbelievable? 
<laughs> one of them was, yeah. Obviously. What the other three were is anybody's guess. <laughs> it was, you're believable. You're pretty believable. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I think someone might have beat EMF. Because even though they put four songs on the charts, Johnny Marr, I lost count. I think he's on the charts like six or seven times. Here. Oh, because he played on so many people's albums? Yeah, well, he's on all three singles that Electronic charted with. Right. And then he's on the Billy Bragg song. Okay. I think he's maybe on the Kirstie McCall song. I I couldn't keep track, but he's on a bunch of stuff. He's, he's basically a session musician. He's guesting all over mm-hmm. the place on these songs. That's cool. Yeah, so... Um, the Timbaland of his day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So let's give it up to Johnny Marr, the uh, king of 1991. Yeah. Maybe. That's the way I thought you were, are you not crowning him? It's like, you really really pulled a Steve Harvey. (laughs) (laughs) Here's something I thought was really interesting. If we look at the previous couple years and we look at the mix of songs from the US and England and Ireland and all that, it's been roughly 40% US, 40% England, 1991, England goes to almost 60%, and the U.S. drops to 26%. Only a quarter of the songs were by U.S. bands this year. Okay. I think that's going to change pretty quickly. I could see that. I also like to keep track of bands with women. So here's what I noticed. In 1989 and 1990, roughly 20% of the bands had a female singer. How much? About 20% of the, okay. of the songs that charted. In 1991, that's down to just under 11%. Yeah. Yeah. That's dismal. Yeah. Before I even looked at the stats, I definitely noticed it when I was trying to pick songs right. from month to month. I was trying to put women on the show, and there just really wasn't a lot to choose from. I think that's the point. There wasn't a lot to choose from because they weren't the ones getting record deals by the men that worked at... Record companies. Sure. But I think this is a trend that we're also going to see turn around. For shortly. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that I like to do in the end of season wrap up episodes is play some clips from every cover song that charted on the modern rock charts during the year. And I also threw in a few bonus songs because for those of you who don't remember, which is everybody, the second season wrap up was recorded and then deleted and then never re-recorded. So it never happened. Oh, right. So I just took the cover songs from 1988 and 1989 and I threw them on this list too. Whoa, we got a lot to get through. We got a lot of cover songs and here's how it's going to go. If you know the recording artist, so who's singing, Yeah. that's 10 points. Okay. Okay. Five points for the song. Five points for the original artist. Yep. And if you get all of those, you get 25 points total. Okay. Got it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you get a piece of paper because... <laughs> I mean, I don't actually keep track. Okay, perfect. Here we go. Get ready. This is a, a okay. big a big run of songs. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no. Zero points for Orly. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, that was Danielle Dax Mm -hmm. covering Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles. I thought it was. I'm like, okay, this is definitely something inspired by the Beatles, but I didn't know the song. 
you know, I, I think some people will probably be upset if I say this, but that one's kind of a skipper for me. Yeah. I, I know it's, it was really influential, but as far as Beatles songs go, it's pretty low on their melody yeah. 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 Okay, let's go on to the next one. See, like, I'm so confused by the way the sound. Like, this is Jimmy Buffett. Like, I don't. <laughs> think more modern rock. I think you got this. Like, oh, okay. So it's UB40. Okay, I'll give you credit for that. This is uh, this is Robert Palmer featuring UB40, and they, okay. they are covering Bob Dylan's "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight." Okay. I have five points. I'll give you ten. Oh yeah, that's right. I got the artist. Yeah, I mean, you didn't know Robert Palmer, but who does? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I, was that him singing? Yeah, that was that was him singing. I'll give you five. Okay. Uh, okay, here we go. I don't know. I don't really care. Let there be songs. Is that Jane's Addiction? That is Jane's Addiction. Whoa. Ten points. Nice. I don't think I know that song, though. No, um, I'm not super familiar with it either. That is the song Ripple by the Grateful Dead. Oh, yeah, I don't know Grateful Dead songs. Nice job on the Jane's Addiction, though. Thank you. Um, that it took w- me a while. I was, like, sifting. I thought it was a woman at first. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. Yeah. Next song. I mean, yeah, it's Los Lobos. Okay. Yes. Song? Oh, I don't know. Probably something by the Grateful Dead. It is by the Grateful (laughs) Dead. (laughs) It is the song Bertha by the Grateful Dead. I think there was some kind of Grateful Dead compilation tribute album that came out this year. You know, I remember being, yeah, maybe a young teen or a tween and like there was like a revival. Yeah, they must have gone on my tour. My dad went to a well, concert. They were always going on tour, but, yeah. but I, I remember the same thing. In middle school, uh, some of the cool tie kids started showing back. up with the tie-dyes and the teddy bears. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what any of that was. I was like, <laughs> Grateful Dead? That sounds scary. They're dead. <laughs> wow. I mean, they do have a vibe. Yeah, they've got a vibe. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, Los Lobos was capturing that vibe all right. Absolutely. All right, let's jump to something that I think uh, might be a little easier. I mean, I don't want to jinx you or anything, but... It's okay. I'll just... I'm really just going to shout them out. Okay, here we go. I'm not losing points. It's not Jeopardy over here. (laughs) Every time you miss one, we're subtracting 40 points. This is the SATs all over again. (laughs) No pressure. Elton John. Yep. Uh, Rocket Man. Yep. Tori Amos. That is a good guess, but incorrect. Kate Bush. It is Kate Bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is Kate Bush covering Elton John's Rocket Man. Okay. Nice work. What do you get for that? I I'll get 10. ten. I, I ten fully points. thought it okay. was what's her butt. You know what? A lot of people have said that Tori Amos wouldn't exist without Kate Bush. It's true. I was like, you know, it's, I guess her early sound was a little different, but no, it was just a different person. 
We've got one more cover from 1991, and then we're going to go into the older All ones. All right. Here we go. I can't help about the shape I'm in. I can't sing. I ain't pretty, and my legs are thin. But don't ask me what I think of you. I might not give the answer that you want me to. I don't know what that is. Yeah. These are tough. Yeah, this is tough. This is tough. And you know what? The weird thing is, like, most of these songs have been by very well-known artists, but they haven't all been their most well-known songs. Right. You know, like if uh, Jane's Addiction had covered Truckin', you you probably would have got that one. Faster, yeah. Um, Yeah. So this was Joe Jackson. Okay. And he's covering another well-known band. This is Fleetwood Mac, but it's Fleetwood Mac... In the old days before they were like super popular. Okay. He's going old deep cut. Yeah. So the song is called Oh Well. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that one. Mm -mm. And honestly, could I have guessed that that was Joe Jackson if I didn't know the song? Surely I I would never have gotten there. All right. Well, we're going to, we're going to make you feel a little better though. Okay. Because we're going to get into some stuff that, uh, the stuff from 88 and 89, a little easier. Okay. Well, a little easier. A little easier. We got three more songs. Here we go. Okay, that's Blondie. Debbie Harry, yep. Okay, we'll, we'll yes. give it to you. Sure. Debbie Harry. I know her voice right away. I don't know who this song is originally. All I can think of is it's called Liar Liar. It's called Liar Liar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's by a band called Castaways. All right. Yeah, I did not know that. Well, I mean, who does? Sure, sure. All right. Next. That was my highest scoring one so far. Way to go. I think you're going to get another one. Okay, yeah, I got this one too. <laughs> Two notes in. Yeah, this is this is the name that tune. So that's Red Hot Chili Peppers doing Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder. You got it. 25 points. Boom. Nice. All right, and we got one more song. Okay, uh, that's you two mm-hmm. singing Everlasting Love yep. by Open Up Your Heart. <laughs> nope, I don't know. I feel like this song is a classic. Totally. And it seems like it should be by somebody I've heard of before. It's not. Not anyone I've heard of. Uh, the original version was by someone named Robert Knight. Oh, it was a dude. And Who that- made it famous? Well, Robert Knight charted pretty high and then Carl Carlton charted pretty well with it. Um, I like a la- I'm hearing a lady's Gloria voice. Estefan. Gloria Estefan is probably the one I'm hearing. Yeah, this one's this one's charted a lot. A lot of covers of this one. Hmm. Maybe Robert Knight's the one I know. Um, when did what? When do your year did that originally come out? So the Robert Knight one was '67. Okay, that's got to be the one I know. Yeah. So uh, let's see how you did. Um, I didn't write all of them down, so we're gonna oh, give great. you uh, <laughs> 80 points. Way to go! Thank you. Nice How'd you all do at home? Did you beat Orly? <laughs> <laughs> all 
Uh, if you did, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope that was fun. Let's get into some songs that charted on the modern rock charts in 1991 and that we didn't listen to because, um, I don't know, they got bumped out on a previous episode. All right. So uh, we're going to look at four songs. The first one is by a band called the Judy Bats. Mm-hmm. And they were formed in Knoxville, Tennessee in 1987. They released their first album, Native Son, in 1991. And the song, Native Son, hit number nine on the modern rock charts in April of 1991. That's what we're going to listen to. All right. Native Son, here it is. I didn't hate it. Yeah. I think that they like the Pixies. Yeah. It's like Pixies meets James. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the harmonies. Yeah, I like the harmonies too. I, I I tend to usually like it when there's harmonies and in particular when there's like male-female harmonies. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. To me, I kind of assumed that this band sprung out of the post-REM Mm. sort of wilderness you know a lot of american bands popped up after rem started Mm -hmm. started to become sort of successful and this this sort of sounds in that vein to me you know the reason we don't think it sounds or you might not think it sounds as much like pixies is because the song lacked dynamics Mm -hmm. and pixies are good with dynamics but i was just like trying to envision it if someone else had produced it and frank black sang that song like you would be like that's fine it fits Sure. I mean, I wouldn't mind hearing the Pixies sing that. Um, yeah, but I, I like this song. I think it's kind of endearing. And I think part of what draws me to it may be that I've seen the music video a few times. Okay. And they look so young and they look so, so unstylish. It's like the, <laughs> like you couldn't find a bigger bunch of nerds. I love it. Um, and yeah, I love it too. It's It's just like this low budget, goofy, nerdy thing. Yeah, there was something about it. It's funny that you say that because there was something like the second I heard it, it's not that it sounded amateur, but there was like some underdog quality that I was like rooting for. Uh huh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Yeah. And this band actually went on to put two more songs on the modern rock charts. Mm -hmm. Um, They released four albums before they broke up in 1994. Uh, But I haven't heard all their material. I've heard their follow up album quite a few times. And for me, it's kind of diminishing returns. I think that as they started sanding off the rough edges, it Mm. it lost a little of the appeal for me. Right, because then they're not as charming. Yeah, but here, I like this fine. I thought it was a a neat song. Yeah. Yeah, I'd spin this one from time to time. (laughs) I don't know too much more about the band. I know that they put out an album in 2000, but it was a Judy Bats in name only album. And I'd like to hear more about the story behind this, but I read that, and I'm quoting here, it was called a Judy Bats album because a millionaire control freak was backing the record. Weird. And he didn't want it to be released under uh, the solo artist name. That's weird. Yeah. 
That's really weird. <laughs> so there's some there's some mysterious millionaire yeah. control freak Judy Bat super fan out there who's who's fronting they're, albums for them. No, I think they're just trying to remain mysterious. <laughs> I feel like I remember seeing their name like on the coming to a club near you, like in the weekly circular or something in Sacramento oh, yeah? at some point. Because the name sounded familiar. It's well, it's a pretty memorable name. Yeah. Yeah, I think it has something to do with Punch and Judy, but um, mm. I, yeah. hmm. all right, well, let's keep going. Okay. We're going to move down to Australia. Okay. And we're going to hear a band called Rat Cat. Rat Cat. Yeah. Not Mouse Rat. Not Mouse Rat. Or Rat Mouse. No, or Cat Rat for that matter. <laughs> Is a Rat Cat a catish rat or a radish cat? Well, what's first here? It's Rat Cat. A Rat Cat. I think it's a radish cat. Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. The name sort of forces you to enunciate extra hard, mm-hmm. right? You have to say rat cat. Rat cat. Otherwise, you're saying like rat cat. Rat cat. Although rad cat's not a bad name. That's what I was saying. I was saying rad cat. <laughs> hey, man, I'm a rad cat. Rat cat was formed in Sydney, Australia in 1985. And this was also kind of an underdog band. They were on an indie label, but... For a brief period of time, they were the number one biggest band in Australia. Between 1990 and 1991, they reached number one on the Australian charts with an EP, an LP, and a single. Whoa. Yeah. How much do you have to sell, though, to be number one in Australia? I don't know, but for, like for a band on an indie label, that's impressive. Yeah. It's really impressive. Do you look up these guys like a where are they now sort of situation? Uh, should look them up on Facebook like individually oh yeah I should <laughs> track this guy down uh, you might want to track him down because he, he's kind of a dreamboat oh really yeah get my phone out rat cat <laughs> <laughs> P.S. add 30 years to him so <laughs> he's a 60 year old dreamboat <laughs> yeah you know what he looks like he looks like a, a less drugged out uh, Evan Dando but maybe with a little bit of Jonathan Richmond in there but he's got like mucho gorgeous hair oh uh-huh. yeah yeah you know what i always had a problem with evan dando's face yeah we'll make it more likable and, and you got this guy um <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway we're gonna hear a single called that ain't bad all right and it is from the band's ep tingles ew <laughs> <laughs> you know um when i hear tingles I don't know. I always think of Pringles. No, but you're uh, you're thinking of other things that are gross. Apparently, no, it's not really gross. It's just like I don't want to think about this guy getting like a semi boner. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe I do. Let me see that picture. <laughs> um, yeah, that's you're... what I think about Tingles. It's like, oh, baby. Okay, well, we'll we'll watch the video and listen to the song, and, and we'll see if you <laughs> if you're interested in some Tingles from this guy or not. <laughs> All right. Well, first of all, that guy's looks have become a problem. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> um, his face is like 50% of the video. It's just like his face. So the other guys are like, all right, it's fine. 
But honestly, oh, what... oh, oh, you mean? Mm-hmm. I thought I thought you meant you had a problem with his face, but no, 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 no. <laughs> for the band. <laughs> you, yeah, you're saying the rest of the band <laughs> has a problem with his face. His face is taking over the band. <laughs> it really is. But what's funny is he was really only cute in that light. Mm, he needs special cute lighting. Yeah. Otherwise, when you like pull back, you're like, oh, he looks like extra from Who's the Boss or something. He's Australian cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what that means. Um, that is really funny because when I was looking at that dude, I was like, wow, I feel like if they cut out all of that walking down the street in their 80s clothes stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and hanging out at the amusement park yeah if it was literally like just his face he could look like a modern day youtuber or something yeah totally okay what'd you think of the song the song was like eh, fine it was kind of a starter song Mm -hmm. like i don't think i needed a third verse i know what you mean yeah i mean it seems clearly ramones inspired (laughs) yeah Yeah. um you can get a more simple chorus you know i love love you you. yeah but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. It's just, um, I think if they would have gone a little harder, maybe make it faster or cut it a little shorter. Oh, yeah. It didn't need to be... Three and a half minutes long. That was a two-verse song. Yeah, it's should a two-verse song. Should have been a two-verse song. Because if not, you should at least make a bridge or something to break it up. Yeah. And they didn't. Like, um, it kind of seems like a first draft. Okay. Yeah. It's not enjoyable. Like, I enjoy first draft songs. I've written songs similar to that that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing and listening to, but then I go like, okay, what else you got? <laughs> well, here's my suspicion. I think they wrote it as a two-minute song, and the uh, the label was like, we need two more minutes of your face. Two more minutes of your face, baby. It's gold. It's gold over here. Extend that song. Your face, mate. <laughs> it's what's cracking. Did the song seem slightly out of step with everything else going on on the modern rock charts in 1991? You know, actually, no. And that's what I was thinking about the song before it, too, is that they are sounding more distinctly 90s. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, out of step in the sense that they're a little throwbacky to that, like, Ramones, but there's another spin on it that definitely, I don't know, something with the production made me go, like, this is 90s. Like, I'm feeling the 90s from this song. Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely sounded like a 90s version of a Ramon song yeah. by a different band. But I'm just saying, like, compared to everything else we're listening to, from the American bands, it's largely, you know, REM-centric. From the English bands, it's a lot of a lot of shoegaze and a lot of, like, Ma- Madchester dance Right, right, electronic Um Yeah, a lot of, a lot of Grebo bands. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I just think of the songs we listened to over the course of this season, there's not a lot of just straightforward, like, this is guitar rock and roll. I like that, though. Mm -hmm. I don't mind that. No, I don't mind. You know what this reminded me of? You know who loves this band? Hmm. The Vaccines. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Everyone thought they were ripping off the Strokes with that first Vaccines album, but... They're ripping off... Rat Cat. Rat They've been Rat Cat fans all along. (laughs) Like, I had the shiniest hair I've ever seen. Rat Cat? Yeah. Yeah. His black shining hair. Johnny Ratcat. Oh my gosh. Is that his name? It is now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Johnny Ratcat. Ratcat. <laughs> if you watch the Ratcat video for That Ain't Bad, you can catch a young Naomi Watts. Smiling, blowing a kiss. But what happened to Ratcat? I don't know. They got caught. 
I guess so. They were rat caught. They've been exterminated. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I couldn't find out much information. If anyone knows what happened to Rat Cat, let us know. I'm telling you, you could look these guys up individually, find their Facebook page. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hear another band. Here's one that uh, I think you know. This is a pretty big band, although much bigger in England than they ever were over here. We're going to hear from Blur. Right on. Blur was formed in London, England in 1988 from the ashes of a band called Circus. And initially they called themselves Seymour after a J.D. Salinger character. Seymour Butts. (laughs) That was the one, yeah. (laughs) That's actually why J.D. Salinger went into hiding. (laughs) He wrote that joke and then he was like, God damn it. (laughs) No one's ever going to let me live this down. Uh, Better become a recluse. He was the first Bart Simpson. (laughs) (laughs) That's what J.D. Salinger is really doing with his time. Prank phone calls. Uh, Yeah, which also, that's a very 90s thing, right? Oh, yeah. All right, so anyway, the label said, you can't call yourself Seymour. That name is stupid. Uh, Truly. And supposedly, they they chose the name Blur because the band came up with a list of possible names, and the label came up with a list of possible names, and Blur was the only name on both of their lists. Where are you getting this information? That seems unlikely to me. Very unlikely. Yeah. They just both happen to Th- have That would blur. be, like, incredible. Yeah. So, I'm dubious. They're all getting the tattoo of Blur. They're like, this is meant to be. They just all happen to show up and like, you got a Blur tattoo? I got <laughs> a Blur tattoo. <laughs> it's blurry, too. <laughs> all right. So, they decided on Blur. And Blur's first album, Leisure, or Leisure. Leisure, of mm-hmm, course. Leisure, was released in 1991 to mixed reviews. It's kind of a shoegazy-ish record for the most part. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound a lot like Blur's other stuff. The band has claimed that this was an effort to please their label and that they recorded the album to fit in with popular British sounds at the time. Don't be yourself. (laughs) We signed you because we liked you. Now be someone else. Mm -hmm. We're going to hear a song called There's No Other Way. Love it. This was the second single from the album. It reached the top 10 in the UK, and it even cracked the Hot 100 in the US, making it all the way to number 82. All right. Believe it or not. It's a good song. Yeah. Before the band recorded the album, Blur thought of this as a B-side, and they had even stopped playing it live. That's insane. Yeah. But their producer, Stephen Street, loved the song. He thought it was too fast. He slowed it down. He uh, brought them a drum loop. And, uh, you know, slap the whole thing together pretty quick and turn into a big hit. Yeah. Now this guy's a dreamboat. Oh, Damon Albarn? Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about that after we listen to the song. Sure. Let's do it. Here it is. There's no other way. Taking the fun out of everything. Making me wrong when I don't want to think. Taking the fun. Damn. Oh, you like that one? I like that one. Is that song a tackle box? Because it's got all the hooks, baby. (laughs) (laughs) It is a tackle box. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, it's just instantly memorable. Mm -hmm. Dynamics, you know. I always feel like Blur's got this really interesting quality of like 
being fun, but also melancholy at the same time. Yeah, I can see that. I'm into it. Yeah. I like listening to it in the context of 1991, because usually when I hear the song, it's like on their greatest hits or just, you know, randomly. Mm -hmm. But listening to it here, you go, oh, yeah, like it does have that same kind of drum beat, right? Uh You can feel that, feel the the Madchester, the the baggy drums. And there's like a trippy backwards guitar solo Uh and you've got kind of some spacey background vocals going on Mm -hmm. so it does feel like it's kind of a part of that scene right and And yet like we've got these really clean guitar licks and damon's voice is like right up front yeah and so it's really like standing out it's part of that scene but this is poppier this is it's definitely poppier you know it's got more hooks I think they know they've got a front man who, right. who's got the goods, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's just really enjoyable. And what's funny is that, like, lyrically, it wasn't any more complicated than that Rat Cat song. But I, I did not grow tired of this mm-hmm. at all. Like, it's the perfect length for what it is. And that little guitar solo came in. It was kind of like, ooh, a nice little switch up. You know, because I knew they weren't going to drag it out, too. Yeah. Well, you expected it to be a forward guitar solo. And I did not it, it know. It went backward. Yeah, and... that was actually a little surprise. <laughs> I never pay attention to guitar solos, really, unless they're like, Wah! so. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear that solo. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a feeling I get. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought that was the actual solo. <laughs> it's my heart. <laughs> um, here's a hot tip. If you want to have some fun. There were two music videos made for this song. There's the British version and there's the American version. Okay. And it's really funny to watch them because the British version is like the band sitting around the kitchen table with mom and dad and the twin sisters and they're eating a meal. And Damon Alburn, the lead singer, he's got this terrible, terrible bowl haircut. Uh-huh. It's got a bad, he's got a bad haircut. And he's slumped over, like, doing his best Igor impression, like, trying to glare at the camera while he's singing. It's just... Goofy. It's really goofy. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so they shot a new one for the American audience, and it's like, you know, the band's standing in a shallow pool of water, playing their instruments, looking cool. Damon's got a much better haircut. Mm. Um, you know? And it's like plenty close-ups of his face or uh-huh. whatever. Those um, cheekbones. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know what my point is. But. I don't know. Well, no, because they, they polished him up for America. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, and I think they had something they could sell to America. Yeah. But this is where things go wrong for them. Just as the song was starting to take off in the U.S. or in North America, mm-hmm. Nirvana comes out, mm. changes the whole musical landscape for right. America and for American radio programmers and everything. Right. And, you know, I think everyone knows this band went on to be huge in the U.K., but they're not going to chart too many times on the right. modern rock charts in the U.S. But we'll hear from them again, and I'll probably play them every time they come up because mm-hmm. I'm a big Blur fan. Yeah. Yeah, they got the hooks. I mean, that's they got the hooks. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. You know? I feel like the first time I heard that song, I was singing along to it. Yeah. For their follow-up album, the American record label was pressuring Blur to record with Butch Vig. Mm. Uh, and um, they told them that they didn't hear any singles. Uh, so the band decided famously so, to pursue a much more pro-British image and sound. Right. Which um, helped kickstart a huge Britpop movement in the UK, but also turned off a lot of American 
people. I think they did all right. They did all right in the long run. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, like, for how big Blur was in the UK, we were not hearing them over here. Like no, that. not at all. And the times that I would really hear them would be on 120 minutes. Mm-hmm. But even still, I don't think they were getting the play that they deserved over here. Yeah. I mean, I think that you piss record label people off. Look at me. I'm like anti-record label people tonight. That, um, yeah, they just don't, they don't do you anymore. Sure. Oh, did I say that There's No Other Way reached number five on the modern rock charts? I don't think you did. Well, there we go. There's No Other Way reached number five on the modern rock charts in November 1991. All right, the last band we're going to hear from is from Scarsdale, New York. They were formed in the early 80s, and they're called Too Much Joy. Okay. Uh, the band's name came from a mushroom trip. Okay. They had got themselves some mushrooms. They gathered their instruments together and some notepads and pens, and I think the idea was that the mushrooms were going to set off a creative explosion. Okay. And uh, in the morning when they woke up and looked at their notepads, it was mostly a lot of scribbles and spirals. And the only actual words on the notepad were too much joy. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So it didn't result in uh, genius, brilliant songwriting or anything, but they did get a band name out of it. Right. God, I'm just feeling incredible. It's like too much joy write that down write that down (laughs) we're gonna need that later yeah too much joy they are known for i think having a sense of humor you know their early albums have titles such as green eggs and crack and son of sam i am okay this is a theme all right (laughs) oh yeah that that is uh both of them are dr seuss themes they're both green eggs and hams references (laughs) (laughs) wow it's not so much a sense of humor as just a, a, a loyalty <laughs> to the Seuss. Yeah. Their, their next album was called Not on a Train. <laughs> <laughs> no, in fact, by 1991, they had moved on. Their, Good. their next album was called Serial Killers with a C. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> by the way, when I was a kid, that is what I thought it was. Uh-huh. I was like, well, cereal, because you kill a lot of people and there's lots of pieces of cereal in your bowl. So that makes sense. Yeah. Multiple of things. Orly, did you eat all your cereal this morning? <laughs> I killed it. <laughs> killed that cereal. Moited it. So the band achieved some notoriety in 1990 after they were arrested. I like this story too, so I'm going to tell it. <laughs> so do you remember, we talked about this on a previous show. Uh, there was that event where the band Two Live Crew was, uh-huh. was arrested for... Lewd. On Yeah, obscenity charges, uh-huh. I think, in Florida. Yep. So I think possibly as a joke, one of the band members from Too Much Joy said, hey, that is censorship, and I'm not into that. We should go down there to the same venue and play, the- and play all two live crew songs uh, as a protest. <laughs> <laughs> right? So they threw it out there, and I, like their manager or their agent or whoever was like, yes, you're doing that. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for like publicity sure. reasons, I'm sure. So from what I understand, Too Much Joy, they contacted a bunch of other bands, including some that were pretty well known. And they're like, hey, we're going to do this thing, this anti-censorship thing to protest. Uh Um, We're going to play two live crew songs. Are you going to be there? And everyone's like, that's an awesome idea. We'll probably be there. And then Maybe not super committal. Yeah, so they get down there for the event and like literally nobody else shows up. Just them. Just them. 
and they perform the two live crew songs and they get arrested and it's, you know, becomes a something of a news story. Okay, I don't really know the two live crew song in question. Uh-huh. Is it, oh, me so horny, me oh, love maybe. you long time. Oh, yeah, so their biggest... That's just a... Their biggest rap hit was Me So Horny. Right. Maybe Pop That Coochie. Pop That Coochie. You know, yeah, but so what? Like nowadays, like, are you kidding me? Pop That Coochie. They're singing it in elementary schools. <laughs> Third graders are twerking to that. Yeah. Yeah. Here's um, Here's my favorite thing about this story, though, is I read an interview with the band and they were like, you know... The thing we really took away from that whole thing was that those were really terrible songs. <laughs> <laughs> not that we were offended by the lyrics, but they're just, just not good. They had nothing interesting to say. Right. It was not clever. It was not cute. It was not particularly shocking. Right. Uh, it was just dumb. Yeah. Just yeah. dumb and dirty. Yeah. Yeah. So um, following that, they were looking to put out their next album, uh, which I said was called Serial Killers. And the producer didn't hear a hit, but they said, we do have a hit. It's called Crush Story. Treat it like a hit. Okay. That's what we're going to hear. And this song, uh, the band was inspired by So Alive, the Love and Rocket song. Uh And specifically, they were interested in how a song at that tempo could sound so intense. Yeah, that's cool. This is their... This is their their attempt at, at at a, you know, 120 beat per minute. It's not like that's particularly slow. But, you know, if you're coming from, like, Ramonesville, or if if you're coming from the punk world where, like, speed equals intensity. Right. Yeah. That could be a challenge to go, like, how can we slow something down and still make it feel meaningful? So one thing to be on the listen out for, according to a reliable source, they recorded over 100 takes on the vocal harmonies here in order to get them right. Maybe they should have practiced a little more beforehand. (laughs) Uh, that's one way to look at it. Sure. <laughs> well, um, I've read that studio time is tray share. Um, yeah. Here we go. Crush story. It hit number seventeen on the charts in May of nineteen ninety one. There's some cool stuff in there. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, but like I like the beginning more, and then there's some part where it pops up, uh, goes up in energy a little bit, and I'm like, whoa, it's Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> it's kind of a Jimmy Eat World track. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny that you say that. When I was listening to it, I couldn't help thinking of Blink 182. Mm. And, um, you know, if you can picture this song a little bit faster mm-hmm. and maybe like just a little more well, juvenile and bad singing. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's not like, I don't want to say anything bad about these guys singing, but I feel like they're getting by on enthusiasm as much as they're getting by on, like, vocal chops. Sure, I mean, they did that 100 takes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I well, I mean, I think that's something that Blink-182 did, too. Those guys weren't great singers, especially right. in their early career. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's some listeners that are like, Blink-182, uh, I'm actually a pretty big fan of some of their early work. I mean, I don't go back and listen to it a ton, but 
when it came out, I enjoyed early Blink-182 quite a bit. Okay. And so what I'm hearing is, like, you got some chugga-chug guitars. Yeah. You've got, like, the enthusiastic singing, and you've got, like, a sing-along chorus. Yeah. I'm thinking like damn it era, not like what's my yeah, age yeah, again yeah. era. Yeah, yeah, damn it. I like damn it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Josie. Yeah. So, I thought it was fine. Was it worth the 100 takes? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I thought there was some cool stuff in there. They had a vision, I think that it didn't pack the punch that So Alive did. Mm-hmm. You could tell that these guys are young and enthusiastic and Love and Rockets don't need to do that. There's sure. not a ton of enthusiasm. Yeah, well, I mean it's a different kind of music too. Sure. Yeah. It feels like a crush story to me. Absolutely. There's a a really nice sense of like yearning and longing in there. Yes. You know, some teenage feelings. I was gonna say I can relate to those feelings pretty well. So Mm -hmm. I could see how like people hearing that, especially young people would be like, yay, this is me. Yeah. What's that song from So I Married an Axe Murderer? The Boo Radleys covering There She Goes. That's the one. That's who they sound like. The Boo Radleys. They sound like the Boo Radleys. Huh. Interesting. Uh, I'd like to see a, a Boo Radley's uh, Too Much Joy team up. <laughs> yeah. Why not? I mean, we're going to hear from the Boo Radleys at some point in the future. Great. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I just want to say, it maybe wasn't super clear. I picked the, I picked these songs to listen to because I like all of them. So, um, you know, sometimes we listen to it and Orly's hearing most of these songs for the first time. And so uh, you hear something for the first time, maybe it doesn't immediately grab. But right. I like all these songs. I think you should go listen to them all. I think these bands are worth hearing. Yeah, I, I, I like them all too. Yes. All right. Well, that was 1991. That was a wrap up. We're going to take a break from This Is Modern Rock while I prep the next season. But uh, there might be a, a bonus, a Burnus episode. Burnus. <laughs> all right. Oh, should we say something about ratings or stars or something? Yeah. If you like this show, you should rate it five stars, write a nice review on any of your podcast listening platforms. It really helps support this program. Yeah, and you know what? I'm going to be honest. I think this is uh, like a four-star podcast, but I'm doing this for free. I'm doing this out of the love of my heart, uh, not getting paid for this. That bumps us up to a five. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> we get the underdog star. It's it's exactly right. We What's that band we just talked about with the underdogs? The rat, no. Not, not rat cat? The one before it. Oh, Judy Bats. Full on Judy Bats of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> like, pretty good, but you know, we could use some funding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, we'll catch you all next time. Have a good one. Bye.